All right, let's commit the time to the Lord. Father, um, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to, to study your word. I pray that, Father, you would speak to each one of us. I pray that, Father, you would quiet our hearts and that we'd be good listeners this morning. Father, have your way in this time, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, if we were normal people living in Israel during Jesus' time, we could have met Jesus. He, he wasn't hidden in a palace, and you know, only certain people could go, like the servants could go and, and talk to him and, and all that. No, he was very much available to normal people. He walked around on, on normal roads, and he just talked to people. And, um, you know, if we had met him, we would have found that he was a really nice person to be around, very enjoyable person. He attracted people to him. So if that's true, if people like to be around Jesus, not everyone, but most people, how is it then that Jesus ended up on the cross? And so the question that we're going to be considering, and, and hopefully everyone got a handout. Uh, if not, we, we should have some extras floating around. Um, but good, it looks like everyone has it. But the question that we're considering this morning is what led to Jesus being rejected and killed? Like, more specifically, who was involved and what motivated them to want Jesus to be arrested and to go to the cross? And so we're going to be looking at specifically the book of Matthew because Matthew pinpoints three people slash individuals who were responsible. What's interesting is that Matthew uses a particular Greek word. It's um, parakikomai, and it mean, translated, it's betray or deliver. Even some translations might say hand over. And so he, he connects that word with three specific people in the gospel there and in the events leading up to Jesus's going to the cross. And those three people that he mentions, they're there in your notes. Judas, the religious leaders, and Pilate. Judas, the religious leaders, and Pilate. So let's look at each one of these and let's consider what motivated them to reject Jesus, to desire that he would be arrested and crucified. So let's start with Judas. These are the references that, that talk about his, and it used the Greek word he handed over because of time's sake. We're not going to turn there and, and read them. But you remember who Jesus or who Judas was, right? He was one of the 12 apostles, which means he got to live and walk and eat with Jesus for about two to three years. He got to see and experience a lot, like Judas, with his own eyes, saw Jesus walk on the water. Judas was there when the 5,000 were fed, and he would have been close to Jesus. You know, there's thousands here, but he was right near Jesus. He would have seen Jesus break the bread and break the, the, the fish. He would have probably carried those baskets because the disciples distributed the food. So he saw this with his own eyes. He was one of the 12 and close to Jesus. Now, not only was he one of the 12, but of the 12, he was a considered 
a very trusted individual. Why do I say that? Because Judas ran the finances. He had the money back. And you only give that position and that role to people you trust. So he had a trusted position among the twelve. So why would Judas want Jesus to be arrested? Well, the answer to that question is rather complex. It's not very simple because Scripture doesn't specifically pinpoint one motivation behind him wanting Jesus arrested. But we do have some clues as to a possible motive. And so here, let me put up a Scripture passage on the screen for all of us to look at. This is interesting what Matthew does in his account here and when he talks about Judas. Look at what he does. So this first passage here, verses uh, Matthew 26, 6 through 16, we won't read it, but it's the story of Mary anointing Jesus. And he, you know, she pours out this perfume that was very expensive on Jesus. And, and notice what it says there. The disciples saw it and they were indignant. They were angry. They were upset. Now, in John's gospel, he specifically says it was Judas who was angry. Now, other disciples were definitely angry because it says plural disciples, but specifically Judas was really angry. So that takes place. And then look what follows right after this. This is what Matthew, how he writes it in his gospel. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? What will you pay me? If I deliver, that's that Greek word. So, based on this, let me mention one other thing. When Judas had the money bag, John tells us he stole from it. He used it for his own ends, his own means. So, based on what Matthew does, you know, here's this situation, and and Judas is upset because it's a waste of money, but really... He wanted it to be sold so that he could use the money for himself. Um, And then we have him saying, what will you give me? What do you think was motivating Judas? Any guesses? Yeah. Money. Good guess. Yes. Hazel, right? Yeah. Good job. Money. Greed. Greed, we think, was at least some part of his motivation maybe not all of it but it it would seem that greed was somewhat part of the motivation for judas to want jesus to be arrested by the religious leaders what is greed greed is having a strong desire for money some people would say other things like power but it's having that strong desire for money or power that causes you to be willing to sacrifice anything for it. You make huge sacrifices because you really want what money can give you or just money itself. That's greed. Greed can motivate you to do a lot of things. In fact, Paul says that the love of money is the root of all evil, all kinds of of evil. And it would seem that greed was motivating Judas or at least partially motivating Judas to want to reject Jesus. You know, just like Judas, we can 
reject Jesus, push Jesus away because we love money, because we are greedy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve God and money. Why? Because one of those is going to rule your life. One of those is going to be a master. It's going to dictate and dominate your life. You're going to be willing to make all kinds of sacrifices for the sake of, of money. So what does that look like maybe in, in your life? Well, maybe it is in, the Lord wants you to give some money away to missions, to a needy person. And you say, no, 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 Lord, I'm not doing that. It's my money. I get to determine how I use it. Or maybe you want a really nice job. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting that. But maybe the Lord says, no, no, I want you to do something else. I want you to be in ministry, which you usually don't get paid a lot in ministry. Or maybe maybe I want you to, to do some other kind of low-paying job. But you say, no, Lord, I want this nice job. I want it, a nice degree so I can have a nice job, so I can have a comfortable life. You're willing to make sacrifices. You're willing to say no to the Lord for the sake of money. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a nice job. I'm not saying it's wrong to have money. Don't get me wrong. You have to have money in order to pay the bills. We all get that. But it's the love of money. It's the willingness to sacrifice whatever it is so that you can have the money. So how much of a pull in your life does money have? Are you making big sacrifices to make big money? So Judas handed over Jesus to the religious leaders. Let's consider the religious leaders for a moment. Who were those those guys? Well, at that time, there's a number of groups that were the religious leaders. You have a group called the Sadducees. You have a group called the Pharisees. And we're not going to get into all the details of what distinguishes one from, from another. Um, but the, the people at this time, normal people considered at least the Pharisees to be a really religious group. They did a lot of good, uh, a lot of good things. They would pray, they would fast, they would give their money away to the poor. And the people really looked up to them. And it, it's kind of like, it, like we look up to pastors. You know, we think pastors are really spiritual people and, and they should be and they are often. And they really love the Lord. And and so we kind of respect them, right? Well, that's the way it was with how some of the normal people respected these religious leaders. They looked up to them as ones who really loved God and were seeking God. Why is it then that they would reject Jesus? Why is it that they would want Jesus killed? They were the ones that really wanted him dead. What motivated them? Well, it's interesting. Later on, when Jesus is arrested and he's actually in the hands of Pilate, we're told that Pilate knows what's motivating them. And so it's kind of made a comment in Matthew 27, verse 18, for he, talking about Pilate, knew that it was out of envy that they, the religious leaders, had delivered him up. It was out of envy. Why would they have been envious of Jesus. Well, the Gospel of John helps us to get an answer to that question, why they were envious of Jesus. See, John records how um, all before this took place, Jesus' arrest and all of that, they got together 
these religious leaders, and they determined we've got to get rid of Jesus because they were afraid that if Jesus continued on, he, he was really popular with the normal people, and if he continued on, they thought he would rebel against the Romans. He would lead an insurrection. And then they were afraid the Romans would come and would just take out the whole nation. And they were afraid of losing their position of power. They didn't want to lose control. They were holding on to the control that they had, the position of authority and power that they had. And they saw Jesus as a competition. And so they were afraid. They were envious of his influence on the people. And they didn't want to lose control of that influence and that power. And so they said, we've got to kill Jesus. We've got to find a way to kill him. So they were afraid of Jesus because they didn't want to lose control. So that was what motivated them. Envy, not wanting to lose control. But did you know, just like the religious leaders, we can push Jesus away. We can even reject Jesus because we don't want to lose control. Control of what? Well, control of our lives. You see, if you want Jesus to save you from your sins, and if you want to really know Jesus and follow him, if you want to be in a relationship with Jesus, you have to realize that it requires you giving up your life. He's your Savior and your Lord. And it's going to require letting go of your life and placing it in his hands. What does that mean, though? Let him have control of your life. Well, it means that you let him have the final say. Let me illustrate it in this way. Did you know that people can hack into your smartphone? I didn't really know that. I mean, I knew they could do that with computers. It wasn't until just recently that people can actually get on here. They can call people from your phone. They can text people. They can use your browser and, like, order stuff and all. They can hack into this. Well, When we talk about giving the Lord control of our lives, what we're talking about is we're saying, you give control of your phone to Jesus. So if there's relationships in your phone or in your life, and the Lord says, delete that contact, because this is a sinful thing, you delete it. You say, Lord, you have the final say. You can delete this out of my life, out of my phone. There's certain apps there. They don't even have to be bad apps, but maybe you love sports, and and I love sports too. But if it's dominating your life, and, and you're giving everything to it, and if the Lord says, delete that app in your life, get it out of your phone, then to let the Lord have control means you say, okay, Lord, I'll delete it. It's gone. So you still have the phone, but you're allowing him to dictate What's in your phone? What's in your life? You let him have the final say. But the religious leaders, they wouldn't have allowed Jesus to have control of their phones over their lives. They were afraid of that. They didn't want to lose control. And so it ended up that they rejected Jesus. And so here you have the Judas... What motivated him? Well, it seems like at least partially what his motivation was, greed. He was motivated by greed. 
And so he sold Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders. The religious leaders, they wanted Jesus dead. And so they were motivated because they didn't want to lose control of their lives. They didn't want to lose control of their position. And so they wanted Jesus taken out. And so if you go through and read in the book of Matthew, the next person who has Jesus in his hands would be Pilate. Who was Pilate? Well, Pilate was the governor of that region. And he had the power. He was the one who actually had the authority to say, soldiers, go and kill him. And, you know, he would have to be killed. So Pilate had that actual authority to do that. And he's the one who did give that final command for Jesus to go to the cross. But what would have motivated Pilate, this Roman governor, to reject Jesus? And if you read through the Gospels, you know he knew that Jesus was innocent. Like he knew that this was a righteous man and he hadn't committed any crime worthy of death. So what motivated him? Why did he pronounce the judgment on Jesus? Well, Matthew 27, 24 gives us an indication. So this It says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, you know, he was trying to talk to the crowds and say, like, what did Jesus do? Like, he's not really worthy of dying. And, but when he saw that that wasn't doing anything, they were just crying out, crucify him, crucify him. But rather, a, a riot was beginning. He took water and, and washed his hand before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. He, he sees, so you see, Pilate notices the crowd they're they're starting to riot and so to to appease them he pronounces judgment on jesus mark does a a slightly different um reading of it he says of the same event he says this mark says this that he wanted to satisfy the crowds he wanted to please the crowds they were starting to riot and, and and he wanted to please them So you could say what motivated Pilate in some sense, to some degree, was this desire to please people, peer pressure. The crowds are there, and and he wants to be on their good side. And so to please people, he bent to the peer pressure and sentenced Jesus to death. You know, uh, Proverbs 6.24 says, The fear of man lays a snare meaning to, to fear people's opinion of you, to be a people pleaser, it brings a trap in your life. It's a snare. And Pilate stepped into that trap. It ensnared him, and it led to Jesus being killed. But again, you know, just like Pilate, we too can push Jesus away. We can reject Jesus even, because we want to please other people. And here's how it might look in your life. Uh, Maybe there's certain friends in your life that are leading you away from Jesus. They're saying, look at some really wrong stuff, sinful stuff. Join me and look at it. Or maybe they're saying some really dirty jokes. Or maybe they're just talking about other people behind their back constantly. Oh, did you, did you see what she wore at church? They're leading you down a sinful path and they want you to join them in that. Now, you might say, but uh, 
Mr. Harris, I'm trying to be a witness to them. They need the gospel. True. But if they are changing you and you're not changing them, you got to cut that relationship off. Because you could be doing more damage to Jesus' reputation and name by staying in that. Because if you stand as a Christian and you're looking at pornography with them, what are they thinking about Christians? Oh, a Christ follower can watch pornography and it's fine. Wrong. It's not fine. It's sin. And if they're, they're, you're ruining the name of Jesus by saying, I'm a Christian and I do sinful things and it's okay. And they think Christians are fine with sin. You've got to cut it off because you're ruining the name of Jesus if you stay in that. Now, if you're changing them, that's a little bit different. If you're being a witness and, and, and they're starting to change in their conduct, then I think it's different. But if they're changing you and you're starting to go down a path of sin, you need to just cut that out of your life. Cut those relationships out of your life because it's not a healthy thing. It's leading you to turn away from Jesus. Now, um, Pilate rejected Jesus because he wanted to please people. So, you know, to think that it was only Judas, to think that it was only religious leaders, to think that it was only Pilate who were responsible for G- Jesus' death, to think that it was only those three, well, that would be a misunderstanding of Scripture. You see, other people were responsible for Jesus' death. For starters, you and I are responsible for Jesus dying on the cross because i've had greed like judas have you i've wanted to not lose control of my life haven't you i've wanted to please people more than jesus at times have you you see it's our sin that's responsible for the death of jesus do you accept that statement Because unless you admit that you are responsible for Jesus going to the cross, you're not saved. I'm going to say that again. Unless you accept the statement that it was your sins that made it so that Jesus had to go to the cross, if you don't accept that, you're not saved. Because Jesus didn't come to save good, righteous people. He came to save those who realize they're sick and they are sinful. He didn't come to save the righteous He came to save those who are spiritually sick. And so if we don't admit it, why even run to him as a savior? We're not saved. So we're guilty of Jesus' death. I'm guilty of Jesus having to go to the cross. It was my sin that was responsible for Jesus going and dying. It was for our sins that he died. But it wasn't just Judas. It wasn't just the religious leaders, it wasn't just Pilate, it wasn't just us. There's someone else. In fact, in in Galatians 2.20, it's interesting. Paul says this. Jesus, look at the very end of Galatians 2.20. He gave himself for me. That word gave, guess what Greek word it is? The same Greek word for hand 
over, betrayed, deliver. He delivered himself over to death. You see, Jesus died. He wasn't just killed. He wasn't just a victim. He laid down his life. That's what John 10 says. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus wasn't just a victim. Jesus died for us. He laid down his life for us. But why? We looked at all the other motivators for the others. What motivated Jesus to die for us? Well, love. Jesus loved us. And it motivated him to go and lay down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. You see, there's two levels of involvement here. Yeah, you've got us, you've got the other three that we've talked about that are involved in Jesus' death. But on the other level, you have Jesus giving his life up and willingly die out of love for us. Let me give you a quote from a Bible teacher by the name of John Stott, and he was really helpful in, in uh, preparing for this message, um, reading one of his books. But he writes this in, in one of his books. You can say this, that I did it, meaning I was the one who killed Jesus. I did it. My sin sent him there. That's one level. I did it. My sin sent him there. But equally so is you can say he did it. His love took him there. I did it. My sin sent him there. But equally so is that he did it. His love took him there. Both statements are true. We're responsible, and yet Jesus willingly gave up his life and died for us. You know, I wonder if any one of these people that we've talked about this morning describes you. Maybe like Judas, you're pushing Jesus away, rejecting Jesus because you love money or what money can do for you. Maybe you're like the religious leaders. They rejected Jesus because they didn't want to lose control. You don't want to lose control of your life. Maybe you're like Pilate who, who rejected Jesus because of peer pressure. He wanted to conform to the crowds. Now, we would never freely admit that we're rejecting Jesus because I love money more. But our actions speak louder than our words. What does your life say? What do your decisions about life say? Now, if you're starting to realize, wow, Mr. Harris, those really describe me, or one of those really describes me, let me encourage you in this way. Start off by just admitting to the Lord. Just admit it. Don't give excuses. We excuse our, our sin. We're, oh, I was just being grumpy. No, you were angry. Call it for what it is. Don't excuse your sin. Admit it. Admit it to the Lord. And ask the Lord to forgive you. And, and name it. Lord, forgive me for my greed. Forgive me for wanting to conform to my friends and, and do what they're doing, even though it's sinful. And so ask the Lord for forgiveness. And then let the Lord know that he can do whatever he wants. Give him your phone. Give him control of your life. 
Give it back to him. He'll do wonderful things with your life. I've been walking with the Lord for about 20 years now, and he's done some really good things as I've given him control. And I'll say this, when I haven't, when I've kept it back from the Lord, it's just led to a lot of heartache and misery. I've blown it big time. And yet the Lord has been so good. So freely just let him have control of your life. You're not going to regret it. It's a good life. Maybe um, you need to commit something or commit to whatever might need to be done. Commit to it. Resolve to do it. It it might be a relationship that needs to end because, again, it's leading you towards sin. Um, It might be he's calling you to, you know, really give some money towards something. He's really put that on your heart. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to say what it is, but commit to do it. Don't just think about doing it. That's not doing it. You've got to actually commit to it. You've got to actually follow through. So in conclusion, let me just mention this. The one who we sent to the cross, the one who gave his life for us, is the same one who extends incredible forgiveness to those that want to be forgiven. To anyone that's willing to admit where they're at and ask for forgiveness, he willingly forgives. He loves us. That's why he gave his life for us. All right, so... That brings us up to the point where Christ is before Pilate. Like I said, Pilate was the one who pronounced judgment on Jesus, and the soldiers led Jesus away to the cross. And in the next session, after the discussion groups, you're going to hear more about what it was like for Jesus to experience the cross and the events after that. So let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We'll turn it over to Mr. Brazier, and he'll tell you what to do next. Father, I thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, that he was willing to, to give up his life for us, for our sins, that he, he willingly did it. I thank you that he even now extends arms of forgiveness. We don't have to fear you and think of um, the judgment we'll receive, but we can come to you for forgiveness and you willingly give it to us because you satisfied your your judgment in your own son. Father, if there's anyone here in which you're speaking to, I pray that you would give them listening hearts. Enable them to know how to respond. Lead them in the way of repentance. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.